Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Director of High Performance at the Toronto Blue Jays, Angus Mugford. This episode of the Pace Performance Podcast is sponsored by Val Performance, the team behind the Nordboard hamstring testing system. So the Nordboard is the fastest and easiest, most accurate way to measure hamstring strength. So with the Nordboard, you'll get the right information to make the right decisions at the right time. If you want to check them out, you can check them out at valdeperformance.com. This episode of the Pace Performance Podcast is sponsored by Train With Push, creators of the Push Band. So the push band is the first scientifically validated uh, wearable device to provide objective insights into your performance in the gym. So using accelerometers and a gyroscope, the push band is able to use bar speed to regulate load and volume based on your ability in the gym on any given day. So you can use the push band to quickly establish uh, 1RMs with submaximal loads so you can plan with confidence. So the pushband portal also allows you to create programs before entering the gym uh, to make change on the fly depending on how you are performing on that given day. So you can customize everything from target velocity ranges to differentiating velocities for warm up and creating working sets and supersets uh, for yourself or your athletes. So if you do want to know more about Train With Push and the pushband, get yourself over to trainwithpush.com. They also got a great blog, so you can catch up with some guest bloggers such as Mladen Ivanovic and Dan Baker. So be sure to check them out at trainwithpush.com. Thanks for tuning in to episode 86 of the Pace Performance Podcast. So today we've got uh, Angus Mugford coming from the Toronto Blue Jays on the phone. So it's gone in a slightly different direction uh, on this podcast just because of Angus's quite unique background in the, well, unique as in uh, in context of, of previous podcast guests in that his background is psychology. So he's quite involved with the Association um, of Sports Psychology. Um, and we can discuss uh, culture, which is something that has come up so many times in the past um, as a bit of a side note, but I was really keen to kind of delve into Angus's background a little bit more and, and discuss c- culture uh, as a real prime topic for the, uh, for the chat. We also discuss mentoring, uh, CPD, and how psychology uh, and maybe a sports psychologist would fit into the um, the bigger picture of the the multidisciplinary the interdisciplinary team. So great chat with Angus. Um, I'm going to let you get straight into the podcast uh, today because it's a really good chat. Um, hope you enjoy it. Uh, I'd appreciate any comments, uh, any any feedback from from this episode or previous episodes, um, and I will I'll speak to you soon. So again, really appreciate uh, the time and effort of, of our guest today in Angus Mugford coming from, I believe, coming from um, Toronto via Dallas via elsewhere. So welcome to the podcast, Angus. Thanks so much, Rob. Really appreciate the invitation and uh, get a chance to talk a little bit. Pleasure. So 
when we started uh, talking over email, I was half expecting a Scottish voice, <laughs> then thought, nah, nah, it's, it's going to be American, and then happy to hear that English. So did you want to give us a bit of a, a background on yourself um, and what you're currently doing in, in Toronto? Sure, you bet. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I think I confuse a lot of people with the name and the, the history, but um, I'm actually born and bred in, in Cambridgeshire, funnily enough, and uh, spent most of my life there. But I'm closing in on 20 years now in the United States, so I call wow. it a, mid, a mid-Atlantic accent. So <laughs> it's not really English anymore, and it's, it's not American, so I, I just enjoy confusing people. In the <laughs> So what you, what's your, your title at uh, Toronto is Director of High Performance. Do you want to give us a little bit of a insight into what that is, maybe what you did before Toronto and your kind of journey so far? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in a new role really here. Uh, the last six months, um, just incredibly fortunate to – you know, I've had a the, you know a, a career that that I'm very proud of, and, and just really fortunate now to be in a Major League Baseball, which is not a, a sport that I grew up with, but has um, just incredible opportunity to really look at the interdisciplinary side of of what we're doing to help athletes be better. Um, so whether those are, you know, the quick context of baseball is that each Major League team actually has a a roster of about 250 players um, throughout developmental levels. So, you know, from draftees that have come straight out of high school all the way through to the 25-man squad at the uh, um, at the major league level. And, and so my role is to help oversee the sports medicine, the strength and conditioning, the, the mental nutrition, and all those kind of sports science components together um, to help uh, make our players available, but, but also... Um, help them develop and help them perform at their very best. Um, now, it's it's a there's a lot of those kinds of roles I know throughout you know different sport worlds, but certainly very new to to baseball. And and this is really kind of a I think a natural extension of my journey for the last twelve years in Florida at a place called IMG Academy um, that has a, a great track record of. Developing talent, probably most famously around tennis um, and Nick Bolateri, and obviously a lot of stories about you know Andre Agassi and uh, Sharapova and, and other players, you know, arriving there as kids and and then kind of leaving as, as Grand Slam champions. So um, you know, really lucky to be around some amazing coaches, amazing resources, and and you know, players themselves across eight different sports there and. And even, you know, uh, towards the end of my tenure, expanding beyond the work that we were doing on campus at IMG to also, you know, areas of the elite military special operations, as well as um, coaches and teams and um, things outside the academy that were looking to harness um, performance between the years. So, you know, the sports psychology, which is my kind of training and background, um, but probably more importantly is is how do we put all the pieces together um, around the physical, the skill, the uh, nutrition, and all those components so that we can really, um, at the end of the day, establish high performance for, for people. Mm-hmm. So I know absolutely zero about baseball. But what I do know is that last year when I came over the Atlantic to Seattle, I was going to try to see a game. And as we discussed before, um, 
I looked at the fixture list and they were actually away, um, which would be fine because I was there for a week. So I thought, oh, I'll catch when they're at home. Well, they're away for seven games in a row. <laughs> right. So that, that kind of freaked me out with that. That, I suppose, as we've discussed uh, previously, it kind of tells you all you need to know about about baseball. But do you want us going to give anyone, especially in the UK, who maybe not familiar with how things work with regards to fixtures and the, sure. the kind of demands of baseball and, and how you may, you and your staff, have to kind of deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think every everyone who's spent a time in a particular sport you know, really respects the the nuances and, and differences between different things. I mean, there's a lot of things that are fundamental, um, you know, across performance. But, but yeah, the context of what these guys do is pretty remarkable. And, and for their regular season, they're playing 162 games in 181 days. So literally, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's an everyday sport. Um, and even in the spring training period, uh, beforehand, you know, they play about 30 games in something somewhere around 40 days. So uh, <laughs> that's before, yeah, it's it's remarkable when you you look at it. And I think so. One of the challenges, obviously, for you know, a medical team or a strength and conditioning team traditionally is is recovery. You know, it's it's a sport about recovery. But not losing the sight of the fact that it's not all recovery. You know, there's got to be some stress and loading in there as well to to help players continue to improve. But um, but it is relentless. We we got in last night to Dallas from San Francisco. You know, at about two in the morning. So you know, when you think of that kind of travel schedule, and like you said in Seattle, you know, they were away for for uh, seven games, but that, that's only a week. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it does go by fast. So, what what kind of demands uh, are on these on these players? Obviously, playing so many games. Um, what is it? I mean, from coming totally um, naively uh, on this point, but what what are the actual demands on these guys? Well, uh, clearly, it's, this is not like uh, football or, or rugby. Um, game where you are, you, get, you can get really pretty banged up. I mean, they. There's nine innings, um, you know, so players that are, are batting probably only have three to four at-bats, you know, where they may take, you know, maybe, let's say, four swings or so at, at each of those at-bats. You know, they may have the ball fielded to them, much in much the same probably stress load as you would expect in cricket, although games are only about two and a half, maybe three hours long. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I think it, it is more of the general wear and tear of the fact that players typically are available every day, except for the pitcher who is um, typically in a five-day rotation. So um, the starting pitchers will pitch anywhere up to 100, 115 pitches in a game. Um, and those, you know, depending on what their specialty is, just like cricket, you know, you've got your fast bowlers and medium and slow pace. But... Um, Predominantly, you know that there's fairly high stress on on uh, on those guys, so there's a lot more built-in recovery around that. But there's probably you know five six um, pitchers who may be asked to come in and, and pitch for a, you know just a couple of innings, uh, and that may be almost every day. So those guys have a different kind of workload and volume, and and so these these are all kinds of different things that we're trying to profile and really find out what what those loads are and what what the best ways are to 
both strengthen and train, but also recover. Mm-hmm. So, like you mentioned, the um, obviously the fast uh, the fast bowlers in cricket are very similar to the to the pitchers in baseball. What what kind of things are you putting in place to be able to monitor that load uh, of your of your pitchers? Obviously, barring counting pitches. Sure, I mean you know it's an interesting one because there we're a little behind in the states as far as activation and use uh, of some of the technologies out there um, uh, for a number of different reasons. So the the one part that's really great about the the influx of stats and availability of data information is is how much is generated by from the camera. Um, and from you know you need you can look at a, a stat sheet in baseball probably in the newspaper and you're overwhelmed with different percentages and um, you know and things like trackman and, and things are obviously looking at velocity and flight and so on so um, but that that's certainly a nut we're trying to crack and, and actually get some better access to um, better information and you know, I think that that's somewhere we're, we're a little behind right now relative to some of the other sports out there in Europe and, and elsewhere. As a director of high performance, um, how I just want to link them two together, how you're obviously dealing with the players, but with it with such a, a packed, packed fixture list and obviously a, a huge amounts of travelling um, over the country, how are you taking care of your staff as well as taking care of your players? Because obviously there's a huge demand on them being away from family, a huge demand on yourself um, mm-hmm. being away from family and lots of traveling, lots of air miles, lots of hotel beds, lots of hotel food, all that kind of thing. How are you, as a high, uh, director of high performance, helping your staff deal with that? What a great question. I think um, I think one of the there's, there's two contexts to that. One is that that I obviously came in. Um, you know, six months ago, but but fact is, many of those the staff have, are existing and and have been here, you know, twenty years or or longer in some cases. So there's very much a um, a culture already that that understands the the intensity, the volume, the life, um, and there's very much a process to to that. Like I mentioned, there's two hundred and fifty players, and so it's a development system for players from from rookies right through to the major league but in a lot of respects a lot of our staff have gone through that process too you know where they've started out with rookie teams and and they've you know made progress along the way and and gone up levels so they've literally lived that journey and and developed their own routines but but on my side and and I've certainly brought in a few staff you know where baseball is new to them I mean it's it's not just looking at high performance and, and human factors for, for our athletes, but much like you say, our, our coaches too. And I think a key part of my philosophy um, and what we're trying to build out too is that, you know, it's not about, it's not that everything's about psychology and it just in the same way it's not about the biomechanics or the physiology or the nutrition or rest and recovery. It's about that individual and how do we maximize those resources around people. So how can we use each other as, as resources, you know, how can we keep, you know, perspective in mind and, and value family time or, or communication time or downtime, um, you know, and at the end of the day, make this fun, you know, it's, it's about a journey of impacting players and, 
and enjoying it. Um, so you know, practicing what we preach around those kind of principles is is really key and and certainly a key part of my role. So how many how many members of staff do you have for all them players? Well, it's uh, within the high performance team. We have uh, approximately thirty uh, individuals, but we also have, for example, a, um, an expanded kind of medical network of consultants who come in and, and help us uh, either with game support or referrals or uh, or different things periodically. So it's a pretty big big team, though, and I think one of the big challenges around that is that we are split up all over the country and actually three countries so you know Canada and Dominican Republic and and also uh, all across the state so you know that certainly is a challenge where we're all together for spring training and and kind of the end of the year instructional leagues but um but otherwise we're we're spread out thin so that that is a new kind of challenge so in a in a previous podcast well actually last week um with Kelvin Giles uh, gives a really good a, a good chat, and he kind of got into a little bit about um, I think just on a little bit of a rant about uh, hiring, hiring, and yeah. hi, who he hired or who he's hired since 1970 or whenever he started at uh, English Athletics. Wow. And he he was talking about um, that he's only ever uh, appointed one PhD, and he went again. He went on a bit of a rant <laughs> as to as to why. Um, but I just wanted to kind of pick your your brains, um, having been in the industry, uh, maybe not since 1970, but <laughs> <laughs> but still been around. And just what you what are the kind of firstly psychological factors sure. that obviously been a been that that been your background that you look for um, when hiring. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I, I have to pinch myself and and how lucky. Lucky I've been, and, and IMG was a great experience for me. Um, it uh, began more with uh, the internship program we had and, and looking at selecting interns to come in um, and, uh, and what were the competencies and, and things we were looking for. And that ended up actually helping, you know, as I became kind of leader of that team, um, looking at competencies from, from the young practitioner but actually threads that would help impact and help grow, you know, all of our staff up to, you know, senior leadership too. But, and I have had the opportunity to hire, you know, a bunch of people, probably about 45, 50, um, uh, when it's all said and done. But, but I mean, so the, there's two kind of categories, uh, I would say. Um, and again, the bias is a little bit more around the, the psychology side, but, Competence is is kind of a given. So I think anyone who's applying and anyone who's looking at you're you're almost making the assumption that there's a knowledge base or set of core competencies and skills for that job role. Um, but I think that's kind of the lowest bar in in a lot of respects. Um, well, that obviously depends on context of what you're hiring for. I think two two other areas that are really key is is the work ethic and, and commitment to excellence. One of my colleagues who would help with a lot of the hiring, uh, Dr. Taryn Morgan, she's, she's amazing. She, would, she actually really liked to see people who had had, you know, especially as young practitioners, that they'd had multiple jobs. And she loved people who'd been in the service industry, so who had been waiters or barmen or, you know, roles like that where it's a lot of grunt work, but you're also facing, um, facing a customer, you know, and that you're able to, 
you know, I, th I think use some of those skills. And I think, you know, there's something to that. I think that that work ethic and also um, communication skills are, are super important. Uh, growth mindset is something I really look for. So I'm, and this may be where, where uh, the, the area around PhDs is kind of an interesting one <laughs> because I think, I think you have some master's level or undergrads who think they know it all. Um, you know, and you have some uh, PhDs who are really hungry and thirsty for knowledge and, and to get better. And so I think you've got to be careful what you label it. But yeah. I certainly see, you know, I want people to be aware of where their knowledge gaps are. So I, I like asking about that and seeing where people think, where do they want to grow and where do they think the holes in their knowledge are. And, you know, they're hungry to get better and improve. Um, but fundamentally, two of the game changers for me, um, especially in the psych profession or, or role, are relationship skills. So your ability to get on with anybody. So whether that is a, a player, an athlete, uh, a coach, a parent, you know, a front office or administrator. That you know, do you have just good personal skills where you can build relationships? Um, and the second one that, again, I think is the game changer is the communication skills. And, and this is where can you articulate you know, a fairly complex concept or, or theory in really simple bite-sized chunks? You know, can you really communicate effectively and efficiently? Um, and those two things alone, I think, probably have, for me, a lot of influence um, over the other kind of core basic things of growth mindset, work ethic, competence. Mm -hmm. So does that does that span across the whole high performance team? You're just still looking for them, them two game changers, as you call it, or would you? Yeah, I, you yeah. know, I, I really, I really do, and I, and I think that's because I do, um, I do see the power of the team is is more important than that um, than the power of the individual, and it's not to say you know. Individual creativity is, is obviously huge and, and you want that kind of individual identity. But, but I think that the, the relationship skills, the communication skills allow another level of the interdisciplinary piece to fit together. Um, and so I think regardless of, you know, whether a strength coach, trainer, physio, you know, coach, I think those things are, are huge and everyone being able to perform better. So I'd, I'd written down there about um, assessing uh, psych factors in an interview. But I think that's, I kind of want to expand on that, if, if you would, about assessing psychological factors in, in athletes just as, as much as kind of prospective coaches or interns. Yeah. How, 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 do you, how do you go about that? I think it's knowing that um, it's trying to get broad snapshots. You know, it's rarely about one nugget of information that's going to tell you the whole story. Um, it's about trying to see people in different environments and get uh, gather different pieces of information. So one thing we did early on that was really key for, for the internship process was, um, was video. Um, literally seeing people present, you know, um, we used to ask for, for videos to be submitted, which 10 years ago was a real chore. <laughs> so <laughs> in some respects, that actually helped to select the people that were really serious. Um, 
and that they would also have to be pretty creative where we'd ask them to film them doing film themselves doing a group session so they had to be creative and and show some initiative around that but then it also gave us a feel for um, their presentation style which was important for the context of the job that they'd be performing um, but it also got to actually see their performance you know see how they interact with others um, you know read some of the nonverbals as well as the content of what they were actually trying to produce. Um, and then, you know, certainly vi uh, video conference uh, interviews are key, you know, assuming that you can't fly people in or get people to come and meet in person. Um, but even if they are there in person, you know, can you have them meet with multiple different people and, and get perspectives so you can start painting a picture um, rather than just trying to, you know, get the magic answer and, uh, 30-minute conversation, which is not usually very effective. I've just written down again um, about creating an environment for athletes from a, a psychological point of view. Just I'll kind of put some context around that, hopefully. Um, some players kind of thrive in an environment. I'm just talking about S&C because that, that's kind of sure. what comes to mind. Some players may thrive in, a, in an environment where they're kind of everyone's in the gym, everyone that kind of music's blaring, you know, really get into their session. But others, others may thrive in an environment where they're on their own or they're in a small group and they're they're doing their own thing. They're left to it. There's, there's kind of not the everyone watching type of scenario. Sure. How how would you or how have you in the past kind of tried to not cater for everyone but create an environment that people can thrive in, you know, with, with different preferences, if that ramble makes any sense at all. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give it a shot, but uh, I think it's, um, it's really valid, right? It's like what kind of environment do you want to create mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a coach or influencer in the system? And I think so context is huge. So understanding what, what's the context and culture of the sport and the, the coach or manager, um, What's your role within that? What you know, you have probably a mission and core values that are really important that will help help you make those decisions. From a psychological perspective, though, I think awareness and variability is key, right? So there are times when your environment is going to be chaotic or high energy, and like you said, some people are going to thrive in that. Um, whereas others are going to thrive when, when they're quiet, they're on their own. And I think the reality of most dynamic sports is that your environment's going to change and you don't control that. You can only control your response to those environmental changes. Um, you know, as the old adage goes, control the controllable. So what we certainly try and teach athletes is, is to do exactly that, is to be aware of where they thrive and then maybe where where they can they struggle a little bit more so that they can identify that but more importantly is that they're crystal clear on what they have control over to be at their best and and then it's putting them in situations where they have to do that <laughs> so you know there's no point in having practice or an environment every day and then you're going into a completely different environment for game time um and and likewise you know if you you have your game time may be all you know one particular way throughout the season but when it comes down to 
to the business end and, and championships or, or qualifiers if the environment's completely different, you're screwed. However, if you have awareness of where you thrive and then you focus on the old process of, of how to be able to achieve that and you've had practice at being able to shift in different environments, you're going to be way more confident um, and ideally you're going to be way more prepared to handle that. And I think that's, uh, uh, I think that's setting you up for success. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So just to, just to move on uh, a little bit, I just want to talk about something that came up in our, our conversation last week, um, which, was, which was transition. And you said that word and it kind of struck a chord with me um, with regards to everyone being in transition. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think you said that, so I'm kind of stealing that. But uh, whether it be an athlete going from under 12s, under 13s, or transitioning from kind of a development side to a, to a full-time uh, professional, or whether it be moving from club to club, how would you, or how have you uh, kind of helped players in the, in the past or, or currently deal with, with transition and, and movement of around age groups, around teams, um, and that type of thing? Sure. Yeah. Great question. I think fundamentally, like you said, the easiest way to look at it is, is we are in the high performance business, right? So we're, you know, by trade, helping people improve and get better. So therefore we're all about transition. (laughs) So it's really kind of looking as awareness of, again, of context and our current state. And then having a, a picture of what what's the ideal state of, of where we're going and, and helping people get from A to B. So part of that equation, apart from just in having people embrace a, a growth mindset of and asking themselves, you know, how, how can I get better today? Um, whether that's they're facing some adversity or doubt or something new um, that they're embracing that with it's an opportunity for me to learn and grow in it and get better um, is really actually a very simple way of looking at all the complexities of, of those kinds of things. Um, and I think that's a really cool thing to be able to foster in your environment, kind of take a step back and, and what we were talking about before, um, it, you know, is every day is our opportunity to transition and improve. But, uh, you know, from from a coach's standpoint, though, I think one way also to look at it is is the relationship between demands and resources. So, in some respects, that stress, right? You know, what we can, if as long as we have the resources to to cope with the demands, we're we're in good shape. You know, when that tips the other way and our demands outweigh the resources we have, whether that's emotional coping resources or or kind of phys- more physical. Or, or economical resources, then uh, that's when stress start the uh, negative stress starts to outweigh things. Um, so I think when we're conscious of those two things, it helps us as coaches be more aware of what are the potential demands here for this kind of transition. Um, you know, whether it's literally maturity. You know, we're talking about a kid who's physically growing or you know, psychologically growing or becoming independent, you know, they've just moved away from home and now they're, you know, going through that psychosocial development and transition. Um, Whatever it is, you know, do we understand the demands of what this individual is going through as a transition or or skill base? This is often one we see where, you know, a player is making the assumption they need to win 
or they need to hit these outcome goals and targets. Whereas the reality as coaches, we're asking them to to learn and we're actually asking them to develop and, and develop a skill and by focusing on the outcome, they're actually uh, getting worse. And so, you know, do we understand the demands and then are we helping them with the resources to be successful? Um, and without rambling too much, uh, you know, I want to kind of connect back to the kind of the hiring and professional development piece, which I kind of use self-determination theory as a, as a check, as a, as a kind of a manager and, and leader. Um, you know, I'd really try to foster the, the big three that they talk about in self-determination theory, which is, do I feel competent? You know, do you feel good at whatever skill it is you're trying to do? Number two is, is relatedness. Am I connected to a bigger cause, whether that's a team or people or, um, or something bigger than yourself? But three is autonomy, this idea that you have, you have control and influence over your situation. Um, and again, sometimes I think coaches often do a great job um, of empowering the player to take some ownership, you know, whether it's asking questions, whether it's having them um, talk through decisions rather than just imposing and, and telling them what their schedule is and, and what they're doing. Um, so when you can combine like developing the resources for a player or a person themselves so that they're an active agent in that, um, or also thinking about um, the, the team or support that you're putting around a player to, to be effective and to transition um, well in whatever context that is. When you mentioned autonomy there, do you think as coaches uh, we do that well by giving players autonomy or is that, is that often a scary thought and, and uh, can people shy away from that? It's, it's both, right? I yeah. think it's, it's certainly... You know what I have seen a lot actually is is a lot of a lot of people coach the way that they like to be coached or the way that they were coached, um, and I think that uh, I'm probably in the UK we do a better job of some of the certifications and and education that that you go through to really understand the impact of some of that. Um, but I think opportunities we have for for players to learn about themselves and about um, why making decisions is important for themselves so that we're not enabling and uh, doing everything for them, um, I think is key. And, and I think that's a good question for a coach, especially a young coach, to ask themselves too is what, what are the assumptions that you're making about the training program or the way that you're instructing um, a player and maybe that goes back to our conversation about environment and and the values and, and what you're trying to instill um you know in uh in a team and then especially developing leaders for on the field if especially if they've got to make decisions on their own um in the, in the heat of the battle so one a couple of last things that i want to uh want to chat to you about uh one is is culture and it seems to it seems to come up quite a lot in uh, in podcasts that I've I've done previously. Um, I'd just like to get your your thoughts on it's a, it's a huge it's a huge subject and uh, one that's quite hard to for, for me anyway to kind of pin down into a and get some kind of clear direction from it. But just coming from kind of business point of view, um, you, you, 
initially set up like a mission statement. Um, and from there you'd get kind of values and, and you'd kind of break it down from there. But how would you, how do you do that in a, from a high performance environment? Yeah, I think, um, like you said, it's, it is kind of nebulous. It means a lot of different things to different people. Um, one of the things I heard that really resonated for me was really culture is a verb, not a noun. I think sometimes when we do the kind of the mission statement values exercise, often it's it's seen as something once it's once it's completed, it's done, right? <laughs> um, and I think that couldn't be further from the truth. And however, it is a framework of how we operate and interact, I think, formally and informally, right? So um, key part of that is that the people have a say, right? That we're able to talk about and create clarity over what we are trying to accomplish. And the simpler, the better. You know, I think those are, you look at Google or Apple or, or some of those, you know, companies who've done, been very, very successful, and I think in the realm of sport, you know, it's not just winning. Everyone's trying to win. You know, it's it's what are we trying to do um, that gives that compelling focus of of how are we trying to do that, and and then going through that process of identifying what what values are important to you, and what does that really mean, and how does that affect you on a daily basis, um, and ultimately that we start operating that way and, and that you can start, people start to take ownership over that and every decision we make is kind of run past that almost as a checklist. You know, we, are we really committing to excellence, you know, by making this decision? Well, goodness knows, there are lots of compromises we have to make. So, and then one of the big things we're focusing a lot on with the Blue Jays is process or process. Slipping <laughs> into my uh, American there. But, yeah. um, but yeah, so you know, for example, we know we're in a results-driven business, um, but the key is that we're consistent about focusing on the process of how we're how we're doing um, things. And so, by using that as kind of a measuring stick, we're able to kind of keep ourselves in check, and um, and that we're transparent about that, and that we can all challenge that and be um, be part of that conversation. So. I think, yeah, so I guess two, two takeaways um, would be the importance of um, walking through that together, you know, with the stakeholders, you know, even if it's a, a team of five of you, uh, you know, in a performance team to really talk about what is it that we're all here to do and to help with and is that something compelling and we all agree on. And then, you know, the key values, so not 20, but, you know, what are three, four, maybe five key things that we want to hold ourselves to and how do we do that um, and kind of setting up a system then for you know how you run meetings how you interact with your your players you know um, how do you how does this come alive and be something that's more than just a nice poster on the wall is there any resources out there Angus that you've kind of felt really um, been really valuable to you in on this subject I mean, books Oh, that, that is a great question. Um, I did, you know what, uh, recently I just read a, a great book um, by Michael Henderson called Get Tribal. Um, but, I, you know, that, there's a lot of uh, different things out there. I'm, I'm just, um, I think Simon Sinek does a couple of wonderful books and a great podcast or, or YouTube video that was a TED Talk um, 
start with why. You know, I think fundamentally getting to the crux of of why you're here and, and why other people are there and have something that unites people together. I think that's a just such a simple concept but so powerful that's often overlooked. Um, but he followed up that with a second book called Leaders Eat Last. And I think that's a really um, interesting look at organizations but also leadership style that um, is uh, is powerful as well. So I'd, I would check those ones out. I'm just writing that down because I've, I've read the first book uh, and I thought that was was unbelievable. It was, it was a great read um, and kind of followed on nicely from his TED Talk. Right. So I'll definitely get that. But just to, uh, just to round up uh, here, Angus, I just want to um, ask you to tell people where people can, can find you and, and see what you've got going on. Sure, sure. Well, I'd, um, I try to do the, the Twitter thing every now and then and yeah. things that I come across that, that I like. So feel free at Angus Mugford. Um, blessed with an uh, easy name to remember, right? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so my handle is just at Angus Mugford. Uh, and, uh, you know, LinkedIn is another good place to, um, to connect. And yeah, uh, please feel free to, uh, you could shoot me an email too at angus.mugford at bluejays.com. Um, so happy to help. Nice. Um, so what's your, what's your schedule? Plenty of traveling over the next couple of weeks? Uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm adjusting. Uh, my wife is very happy I will be home uh, later tonight from Dallas, but um, home for a few days and then heading to our academy in the Dominican Republic um, next week. And then uh, I think we have a series in New York and then then we're actually coming up to draft time, so we'll be up in Toronto for a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, looking at the the future Blue Jays joining the organization. Nice. So nice. fun time. Nice. Well, uh, again, thank you very much for your time, um, and good luck with the firstly with the traveling, uh, and uh, and the rest of the season. So um, thanks again. Thanks so much, Rob. Great talking to you, and uh, keep doing the great work you're doing. Thanks, mate. Speak to you soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for tuning in to episode 86 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So just before I let you go, I just want to say a massive thanks to Angus for giving up his time to speak to me uh, on the podcast. Uh, and a huge thanks to both Train With Push and Vile Performance for sponsoring the episode today. Um, again, I would appreciate any feedback from this episode or previous episodes. Uh, and thanks again for your continued support of the podcast. Uh, it's very, very humbling. Um, and it's been a great experience so far so thank you very much for your for your time uh, and I'll see you in episode 87